Peaceful Parenting by Stefan Molyneux Part 18 Breaking the Cycle of Abuse How do we break the cycle of abuse? Moral clarity is all we need. Psychologically speaking, the cycle of abuse goes like this. 1. A child is told he is bad. 2. The child is hit and told that he is being hit because he is bad. 3. The child internalizes this badness because if he doesn't, his parents are revealed as bad, which threatens the parental bond and thus his own survival. 4. Badness turns out to mean disobeying. 5. Therefore, disobeying parents is bad and must be punished. 6. When the child grows up, his own children will disobey him. 7. Disobeying parents is bad and must be punished. 8. Therefore, the next generation is hit. I've been working feverishly to undermine all of the ghastly assumptions in this chain of reasoning. But there is no way to break the cycle of abuse without judging the parents as bad. Either the parents are judged as bad, or the next generation will be hit. There is no other option. No Second choice. We either justly judge our parents or unjustly punish our children. We either condemn our parents for what they did or destroy our children for who they are. Without moral clarity, all we ever do is repeat Historical evils. If you refuse to judge your parents, you will become them. Whatever we justify, we repeat. If you think that it is good to hit your children, you will hit your children. And that is a guarantee, a solemn promise from the infinite dominoes of cause and effect. Condemn child abuse, and you will never abuse a child. Justify abuse, you will become an abuser. I know it's uncomfortable. So what? Think about the last time you were low on cash. Did you ever seriously consider robbing a bank? A gas station? A random stranger in an alley? Of course not! You earned, begged or borrowed, but you did not steal. In fact, you did all those other things because you refused to become a thief. Stealing was not an option, so you found another way. It's exactly the same with parenting. 
So you have a conflict with your child. So what? Hitting and yelling is not an option. So you will find another way. Just put hitting your child on the same moral level as, say, robbing a gas station. It's just not on the table. With evil on the table, you get only one endless bitter meal. When you take evil off the table, you end up with an infinite buffet. Possibility. Choice. Virtue. I'm sure you've consumed endless stories about heroes who overcome unimaginable obstacles to fight the good fight and do the right thing. No one is asking you to risk your life fighting a supervillain or march into Mordor with Sauron's ring or battle Thanos to the death or liberate 1945 Berlin. All you have to do is apply universal moral judgments to your own parents. You won't die, I promise you. You won't lose a limb. You won't even get a scratch. On the other hand, you probably won't get a medal. You will probably be emotionally attacked, ostracized, lied about, slandered. So what? Everything we have of benefit is the result of people making sacrifices in the past. Stop taking and join us. This is the ultimate heroism. Stop merely reading about heroes. Stop living courage vicariously. Step into the suit. March with us. Save the world. The Effects of Child Abuse Over the Lifespan In this book, I have talked about the physical effects of child abuse on longevity and overall health. But it is also important to talk about the psychological effects. I started off this book by saying that if the world is hell, it is because of childhood. One main reason I am writing this book is for my own child, so that she has the chance to grow up in a world that is more sane, peaceful, and reasonable than I did. Traditionally, families are viewed as insular, and it is seen as rude or intrusive to criticize parents. However, children are raised in order to be released. I may have an abstract dislike of how you treat your goldfish or your hamster, but mistreating these animals will not have a direct negative effect on my life because they stay in their fish tank or cage. If you mistreat a dog that you always keep in your house, I strongly oppose that, but it does not affect me directly. However, if you torture a dog that you also let roam the neighborhood, then I have a much more visceral and significant problem. Your dog 
can now attack my family, and probably will. We all have a stake in peaceful parenting. We all have to live among the products of parenting. Abused children are often difficult, divisive, manipulative, violent, disruptive. They are far more likely to get pregnant, out of wedlock, commit crimes, get addicted, ruin their health, attack us, or simply withhold their contributions to society out of resentment. Even if all they do is pass society by as basement ghosts addicted to digital distractions, that is a great loss to us all. It pains me to think of the amount of brilliant art and wonderful inventions that have been lost to us by child abuse. It is terrible to think of the destruction of love and commitment and connection committed by abusive parents. It is awful to think of how careful and cautious we have to be when walking a city at night because the children preyed on for decades have become predators who prey on us all. Morally, no parent has the right to be abusive. Practically, we must all strenuously oppose child abuse because we have to live among all the people that parents produce. Humanity is at its best when we possess strength, empathy, and moral clarity. Strength gives us the power to promote virtue and oppose evil. Empathy allows us to figure out who can be saved and who must be ostracized. And moral clarity ensures that we understand virtue and how best to oppose evil. Neglect. The severity of child abuse can be ranked accordingly from most serious to least serious. One. Sexual abuse. Two. Neglect. Three. Verbal abuse. Four. Physical abuse. The effects of sexual abuse are so egregious that it is hard to find any sympathy for pedophiles who are murdered in prison. Verbal abuse reshapes children's personalities in the twisted language of the abuser. Verbal abuse defines the child for the child. Lazy, stupid, clumsy, useless, ugly, hateful, bad. And such language does not heal over time without significant intervention. And the adult child who heals can never return to who he might have been in the absence of verbal abuse. A child who was accidentally injured is not injured in his soul or his mind. The injury does not define the essence of his personality, and the injury heals over time, we hope at least. And the child returns to normal. Physical injury, falling off a bicycle for instance, does not harm the child in the long run. In fact, physical danger is essential to the child's development because it instructs the child on how to manage risk. All physical activity carries 
with the possibility of injury, but a lack of physical activity carries the certainty of muscle and bone degeneration. If we move, we could get hurt. If we don't move, we will for sure. Imagine the unlikely scenario of a father who beats his daughter, but openly tells her that she has done nothing wrong. She's not bad in any way. He's just angry at something that happened at work and he needs to relieve his stress. He causes her physical injury, but at least he is honest about the cause and doesn't blame her. She is physically hurt, but does not internalize the habit of attacking herself for being bad. Generally, however, parents hit their children after a culmination of verbal abuse. They call their children terrible names, whipping themselves into a frenzy, and only then beat them. It is essential to separate the emotional damage from the physical injury. The body heals on its own. The mind does not. Or to put it another way, a broken mind is like a broken bone set poorly or not set at all. If you break your arm and the bone does not set properly, your arm needs to be rebroken in the future and fixed. The hopeful goal is to get your arm back to 100% functionality, as if it were never broken. Emotional abuse reshapes the brain, changing neural pathways and affecting the development of the hippocampus and the amygdala. This is like a broken bone healing badly. It requires significant intervention in the future a re-traumatization, to repair. So, the body generally heals on its own, and physical trauma is essential to growing up. The brain internalizes language and definitions, substituting the abusive judgment of aggressive parents for the authentic identity and experience of the child. Therefore, verbal abuse is far worse than physical abuse. Now, why do I say that neglect is even worse than verbal abuse? A great question. The effects of neglect. Which is more traumatic? verbal and physical abuse, or neglect? We can answer this question philosophically, empirically, or morally. The destination will be the same. It doesn't matter which path we take. Children are well known to act out, to behave in ways they know for certain will elicit an abusive parental response. A teenage boy will engage defiantly with his aggressive father, knowing that a blow-up will result. A child being commanded to not push over a plant will often smile deviously and push over the plant. Why do children act in ways they know will elicit a hostile response from their parents? To understand that, we need to remember our evolution. For a child, the greatest danger 
is being ignored by his parents. If his parents ignore him, don't care whether he lives or dies, then he will almost certainly die. A child desperately needs to feel that he is providing value to his parents. If his parents love him, telling him and showing him, then he rests content in the knowledge that he is of great value to them. He possesses the security of knowing that his parents will always strive to protect and take care of him. He can relax. So how do children provide value to parents who seem to dislike them? Tough question. How do you help someone build a house if you have no building skills? Do you know the answer? You can help someone build a house without hammering a single nail, bringing a single piece of wood, refusing to help out with the construction in any way. You know how? You take away the garbage. Building a house produces massive amounts of refuse and leftovers. When you drive past houses being built, you can see the big blue containers where they put all the debris left over from building. The way you help build a house, if you know nothing about building houses, is you take away the trash. You can be of value to aggressive parents by offering yourself up as a punching bag. It's sad, very sad, I know. But it's the truth. If you're trying to sell a car in your driveway and everyone who comes by says they won't offer you a penny for it, how do you view a man who offers to tow it away for free? He's not paying you a penny, but he is still providing a great benefit. He's not giving you money, but he is at least reducing your costs, since you would have to pay at least a few hundred dollars to have the car towed away. Reducing costs is similar to making money. Reducing a negative is similar to adding a positive. If no positive is possible, reducing a negative is the greatest value you can add. If you can't sell your car, the man who offers to take it away for free is the greatest value that can be offered. If your parents don't love you, if they seem to dislike you, then the greatest value you can offer is to reduce the negative. If they don't take pleasure in hugging you, perhaps they'll feel better by beating you. If they feel better by beating you, then that is the value you can provide. And provide it you will, because evolution. Remember, your genes don't care about your happiness. They only care about your survival. If the price of survival is being beaten, then take it, pay it, make it to adulthood and reproduce. In other words, those children who failed to provoke and submit to the beatings that made their parents feel better, those children did not survive. Sometimes a doctor can't make you feel better, but he can significantly reduce your pain. Are you happy to receive anesthetic at the dentist or in the hospital? Of course you are. 
Anesthetic does not make you feel better, but it sure prevents you from feeling a lot worse. Anesthesiologists make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, precisely because they stop people from experiencing excruciating agony. It's a great value to society. And children who can provoke the abuse that makes their parents feel better are finally able to provide great value to their parents. Broken, bruised, bleeding, they can rest secure in the knowledge that the parents who do not love them now absolutely need them. Shattered in mind, soul, and spirit, but relatively sound in body, these children will likely make it to adulthood and get to reproduce. Yay, evolution. The reason I say that neglect is worse than emotional and physical abuse is because children regularly provoke emotional and physical abuse in order to gain and keep the attention of their parents. Children empirically act on the fact that neglect is worse than abuse. Why do they believe this? Why is neglect worse than abuse? Why would we have evolved to prefer negative attention to no attention at all? Because we can survive with negative attention, but we cannot survive with no attention at all. If parents find no value in our existence, we will not make it to adulthood. And even if we do make it to sexual maturity, we will lack basic and essential social skills and will be highly unlikely to win a mate and reproduce. Remember your old car sitting for sale in the driveway? A bunch of people come by, look it over, say it's worthless and walk away. Do you stop them? Of course not. The man who comes and says your car is worthless, but is willing to save you $500 by towing it away himself because he wants some part or the other, if he tells you this and starts walking away, do you call him back? Of course you do. You let people walk away when they provide no value to you, either in paying you for the car or saving you the money of having it towed away. Those who offer you neither a positive nor the reduction of a negative, you don't care about them. They can just wander off. Once you accept you can't get a positive being paid for the car, you find value in the person who can help you reduce the negative, the cost of towing it. You have no relationship with those you are indifferent to. You want a relationship with someone who can reduce a negative. Do you see? Neglect is when your parents let you wander off because they don't care about you. Abuse is when your parents call you back so they can hit you. If you are neglected, you will likely die. If you are abused, you will likely live. So always choose abuse over neglect.
In other words, your emotions will program you to risk abuse rather than the certain death of being neglected. And, sadly, this pattern does not cease in adulthood. But that is a topic for another time. In nature, animals stick together, even if they are abused. Ducks will stay in a flock even though the males regularly assault the females and the females attack each other. Abuse is better than neglect. Being in a bad crowd is better than being alone and vulnerable. Ducklings are programmed to follow their mother and stay with the flock even though the males may attack them. Isolation is death. Abuse is life. In the past, neglected children generally died. In the present, neglected children usually attempt to gain attention and social skills via the internet. Neglected children are so depressed and isolated that they rarely form their own in-person social groups, but online they can gather together and usually reinforce their worst habits. Neglect produces constant stress in children because they are unprotected. They have to become hyper-vigilant. Also, because neglect feels so foundationally humiliating, victims either pathologically self-isolate or become hyper-brash and extroverted to cover up the utter absence of value they feel inside. Neglected children are involuntarily Lonely. And loneliness is a massive health hazard for human beings. Loneliness is estimated to be the equivalent of smoking half a pack of cigarettes a day. Recent studies found that social isolation significantly increases the risks of premature death from all causes at rates similar to smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Social Isolation increases the risk of dementia by 50%. Social isolation or loneliness comes with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Loneliness is associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Among heart failure patients, loneliness was associated with a nearly four-fold increased risk of death, 68% increased risk of hospitalization, and 57% increased risk of emergency department visits. We are wired to be social beings. As Aristotle once said, only beasts or gods can live alone. In other words, our individual bodies a part of a larger whole. It takes a village to raise our children, a tribe to protect a person. We have evolved to offload parts of our self-protection to others. A man without a group is like an arm without a body. Parents who 
neglect their children are quite literally poisoning them. The stress of being neglected is greater than the stress of being abused, since abusers will work to protect their children so they can continue to feel better by harming them. You don't like it if someone steals your garbage can, right? You need it. That's a place to throw your trash. How would we feel about a parent who forced his child to smoke half a pack of cigarettes a day? That would be pretty appalling, right? That's the effect of neglect. We have a greater hunger for social contact than anything other than immediate food and drink. We have a greater hunger for social contact than we do even for sex. Because you can't have sex without social contact. Trapping a child in your house and then neglecting him is kidnapping, followed by poisoning. How strong is our thirst for social contact? Think of the number of teenagers who fall into a bad crowd just to have people to hang out with. Think of the women who risk pregnancy, stalkers, attacks, STDs, just to have random strangers around in the nighttime. Think of the billions of people who drink and do drugs just to have a social life. Think of the lonely older women who invent ailments just to talk to a doctor. As isolation has increased in our society, mental illness has gone through the roof. We go mad on our own. Sanity is only possible in a community. Think of the veterans who look back on their combat years with great sentimentality, often calling them the best years of their lives because they had strong companionship. Think of the gruesome initiation rites inflicted on pledges by fraternities. People happily pay that price for the sake of a tribe. Decades ago, a friend of mine who wanted to get into a fraternity was fed beers until he threw up and then his vomit was collected in a plastic bag and he had to try and charge through a line of fraternity brothers while his own vomit was dumped on him from overhead. He willingly paid that price just to get friends. I'm not reviewing this from a moral standpoint, just pointing out the empirical facts. Think of the number of long married couples who die within a few weeks or months of each other. Without companions, what is life? Think of the explosion of hysterical pet ownership, the cliché of the older single woman surrounded by a herd of cats. We cannot survive solitude. Children cannot find their own companions. The way that you isolate a child is to cripple his social skills by neglecting him and then create a home hostile to other children. Don't play with them and then make sure that no other children will play with them. Seal him up in the tomb of his own room 
then happily watch him rot. Sadism and Neglect There is significant cruelty in neglect. In most countries, it's perfectly legal to give up your own children if you don't like them. You can take your babies, toddlers, and kids and drop them off at a police station, a fire station, a hospital, just about any official building, and they will be taken care of. If you get a dog and then find out that you hate having a dog, why would you keep the dog? It doesn't make much sense until you remember the reality of sadism. Look, we all want to feel wanted, needed, treasured, loved. How do you feel needed if you refuse to provide any value? If you're a movie star, you're in very high demand because you add tens of millions of dollars of value to a movie. People call you, send you scripts, want you, need you, offer you freebies, beg to meet, you name it. Beautiful people are constantly in high demand. Pretty women get hundreds of messages a day on social media and dating apps. They provide value, either earned or unearned. So they are in high demand and so feel needed. How do you feel needed if you don't provide value? Well, you trap someone and then withhold what they need. An ugly man who cannot get the attention of a beautiful woman can kidnap her and lock her in his basement. She didn't need anything from him before, but she certainly needs something from him now. Her safety, her freedom, and food, water, perhaps medical care. Do you see? In a state of freedom, she didn't need him. Now she is trapped, and he holds a monopoly over her. So now she desperately needs him. Why would parents have children and then neglect them? So, that the parents can feel needed. They can feel that they have high value because their children want things from them. It's pleasurable, in a sadistic way, of course. If you feel powerless at work, you can go home and dangle a leash in front of your dog, but refuse to take him for a walk. Your dog desperately needs something from you that he cannot provide for himself. Well, looky there, you have power. Well, you have power. As long as you don't take your dog for that walk. The moment you take the dog for the walk, he now has power over you because you are doing what he wants. You go from ruling over him to him ruling over you. That's not how to feel powerful. Of course, you have to take the dog for a walk occasionally. Otherwise, he will stop associating you dangling the leash with him getting out of the house. And he won't want to walk from you anymore. In the same way, neglectful parents will occasionally have fun with their children just to keep their children's hunger for them alive. Plus, they can then cruelly blame their lack of interaction on their children for being difficult or bad or something like that. No. 
neglecting children is about feeling needed, feeling wanted, but only very occasionally satisfying that want in order to keep the flame alive, so to speak. It's about trapping children in a state of inevitable, necessary expectation and then denying them satisfaction. Such strong and wonderful people, bullying toddlers because toddlers need interaction. How brave and noble. Some people also take a strange satisfaction in provoking others to a state of craziness while remaining eerily calm themselves. It's a form of passive aggression, tragically common. These parents provoke and ignore their toddlers, then get weirdly quiet and reasonable when their toddlers have their inevitable tantrums. It's a form of torture and savage superiority, and it happens all the time. These parents will spend a lifetime complaining about the emotionality and irrationality of their children, like arsonists complaining about smoke in the air. They train their children to equate need with pain, which cripples their ability to love and be loved. To want things from people is to be hurt by people. So they show no vulnerability, admit no need, and pass through life like a tiny leaf on a high breeze, leaving no mark in the minds and hearts of those around them. Also, by stealing their children's childhoods, these parents also often erase their grandchildren. After crippling their children through neglect, these parents also scorn their children for their social awkwardness and inability to form adult relationships. Thus do people wound others, put them in wheelchairs, and then mock them for their failure to stand up for themselves. Thus do parents fail to teach their children German, then move them to Germany and mock them for their language difficulties. Monstrous! As adults, children who were neglected often try to solve their emotional and social problems on their own. But problems that arise from isolation cannot be solved in isolation. Just as their parents felt superior because their children needed them, as adults, the victims of neglect often provoke feelings of false superiority in those around them, who scorn and pity them for their lack of social skills and emotional awkwardness. It is very hard to break out of this cycle. As usual, the only solution is just anger. If you were a neglected child, you have my full and deep sympathy. When you are neglected, the first thing to vanish is your anger. Your parents are looking for any excuse to avoid you. If you get angry, you will get even less of the attention you so desperately need to survive. Any significant or deep emotional state will alienate your parents since they are cold-hearted, distant from themselves and you, and thus will recoil from any genuine and authentic feelings. However, it is important to recognize 
that you were most cruelly treated, ignored, abandoned, stripped of the connection you totally deserved and desperately craved. To help get in touch with your anger, imagine a man who spends a year researching dog ownership, picking out a dog, and who then ignores his dog, tying it up in the basement and driving it slowly mad through isolation. That was your parents, I'm afraid. If you don't want to spend time with kids, don't have kids. If you find out that you don't like spending time with your kids, get therapy, fix your heart. If you can't fix your heart, then give up your kids. The option to keep them home and ignore them does not exist in any moral universe. If your parents neglected you, they are vicious and cruel. In my view, this is an irredeemable sin, a mortal sin, which cannot be repaired. However, your family is not my family, so I will not presume to speak for you and yours. You were more cruelly treated than children who were beaten with belts. You were more cruelly treated than children who were screamed at. I'm so sorry. You can't fix it, but not without getting angry first. And I strongly recommend personal talk therapy to overcome isolation because it is essential to finally have someone who listens who is in your corner and with whom you can finally connect.